so happy new year happy no year it's from friends oh okay <laughs> um the McElroy brothers are perhaps calling this year they name every year oh, okay. and so 2017 was 20 serpentine okay zag on them was okay. the catchphrase <laughs> 2018 i don't remember now okay a long time ago yeah 2019 was joked about recently on their show um called 20 equine teen the year we bought a horse uh, did they buy a horse no oh. but it was a good joke a good running joke of what they would do with a horse um i'm ready for 2019 mm-hmm. here's the thing the older i get jordan makes fun of me because i'm always like whoo 2018 what a year what a year but then i also said that about 2017 yeah and 2016 so i think it's just life yeah the the american zeitgeist in 2016 was whew, can't wait for this to be over and yeah. then 2017 happened yeah and we did the same thing yes whew, can't wait for this to be over and then 2018 was somehow worse yeah and so i hope we're not just continuing this downward trajectory yeah and like personally I just think about like 2017 was rough we had a couple of deaths in our family Mm. like it was really rough so I really did think 2018 we're here like I'm ready but we had some health scares in 2018 like with Ashley's dad and like Mm -hmm. just some and and the hurricane and like there were some really terrible things about 2018 and I'm beginning to realize no life is just good things and bad things Uh and and each year it turns out calendars aren't real yeah um, calendars are not objective cosmic fact. But boy, do I believe them to be. Oh, yeah. Like, we I am all a do. deep believer in, oh, if we can just make it through this month, turn this page. I, I talk about this in my History of Text Technologies class about how, like, time yeah. is made up. Yeah. About how, like, minutes and hours and seconds are not something that the universe subscribes to. It's something that we have made up and, like, projected onto the universe. Yeah. Um, but they were all invented in the Middle Ages. Look, they were invented so we could get it, so we could make it through. They were invented by monks so that they would remember to pray at the right time of the day. Oh, okay. And then industrialization happened and took that religious concept and made it the tool of capitalism. Oh, fascinating. Right? And look, I buy in. Like, I buy a sure. calendar, I buy a planner every year. I firmly believe in fresh starts and new beginnings in January mm-hmm. and again in September because I subscribe still mentally to the academic calendar. The, the Green Day calendar, yes, if you will. Yes, as well as, as, well as um, the normal calendar. Appreciate a good Green Day reference to a minute to recover. Um, so, yeah, I bought a new planner. Mm-hmm. I'm going with the Golden Coil is the name of the planner. Okay. After much research, I even ordered a planner that I then turned around and sold in the store. Oh my. Because it was not going to suit my needs. It wasn't big enough for me. Gotcha. Yeah. So Got a lot happening in 2019. Well, just look, I just need a lot of room to write. Yeah. And this particular planner that was super cute and going to be great literally was not large enough. Mm -hmm. Like I just needed... My handwriting is large, is my point. Like, mm-hmm. I don't write tiny. I see. And so I just, it wasn't going to work. So I went for the golden coil, which I could personalize. And I'm, I'm pleased. I think it's going to work for me. There is even, like, a post-it note sized. Okay. Like, it's so you can, you can where put you it can, in there? Yeah. Oh, wow. Where you can stick a post-it. Yeah. I love a post-it. Yeah, me too. So I'm pretty excited. And I cannot wait to, like, sit down and, like, sketch out my year. That's going to be cool. I always pick a word for the year. Right. I'm still working on that. Um, I've narrowed it down, I think. Um, but yeah, so I pick a word for the year, set some goals. Um, 
but I will say in adulthood, sometimes those goals have gotten harder for me. Like, yeah. not in adulthood, in I've the got, bookshelf life. I've got big goals this year. Yeah. Get I'm married. Get, I'm going to finish my dissertation and then get married. Yeah. That's and good so enough. Those are, those are pretty big things. Yeah. I'm trying to not think about anything else. Yeah. That's, that's a wise, that's a wise move. I feel like that's fair. And so big year. Big year. Big reputation. Poor Taylor Swift. Welcome to episode 204 of From the Front Porch, our first episode in 2019. Woo-hoo. It is a podcast about books, small business, and life in the South. My name is Chris Jensen, and look, I'll level with you. It's still 2018 when we're recording. <laughs> and I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. December schedules are super hectic. And we are time lords. And we are time lords. And so, much like last week's episode, we are recording this on December 11th. It's very early. It's so early, and we never do this. No, we always, like, maybe a week in advance. Yeah, we that's what I mean. Like, we do two episodes at a time, typically. Right, typically. Um, but our schedules are bananas. Are, yeah, and I'm going to be out of town for two weeks, and it's just... And then I think I'm out of town, uh-huh. and so it is what it is, you it, guys. Yeah, and so this first episode of 2019 is it's, actually our last episode of 2018. Yeah, bear um, with us. Bear with us. And so, because this is... A, a, a very special, different kind of episode. <laughs> uh, what we are going to do is look at some of our leftover questions from our Mailbag 200th episode. Can we call this episode Leftovers? Yes. Um, oh. I fully intended to already. That's okay. how I had it on our Google Doc. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, our scheduling doc. Um, so our 200th episode was very well received. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. We loved making it, and we are glad that you enjoyed it. And so... Here's a mini version of that with some of the other questions that we didn't get to. Yeah. If you follow Annie on Instagram, you have seen her answer a few of these. Yes. Um, I but, tried not to answer all of them, right. just a few. But we've got, we've got some other stories here that we can share with you. And so this is just kind of a fun, chatty episode about our mailbag leftovers. Okay. Sound good? I'm here. All right. 2019. <laughs> The year we bought a horse. Mm-hmm. Um, so we answered all of our podcast questions, okay. podcast-related questions, which means we've got four book-related questions, two life-related questions, and three store-related questions. Okay. Which category would you like to begin with? Book. Book. Okay. Are either of you a completist of any author? Meaning, have you read every book that author has written? Oof. Every book? I think I come close on Flannery O'Connor because I have her essay collection, I've read her short story collection, Mm -hmm. I've read Good Man, It's Hard to Find, Mm -hmm. Wise Blood, etc. That's pretty good. And I've read her prayers that were released a couple years ago. So I think I come closest on that, probably followed by Louisa May Alcott and Ellen Montgomery. Okay. Um, But Ellen Montgomery wrote so many, and I did read outside, well outside the Anne the Anne books, but I just don't know if I've actually read all of hers. Right. Because she wrote so many. God, what about you? I've read all but the latest Dan Brown novels. Okay, I kind of love that about you. I know. I feel like it's a lovely little fun fact. It is. That most people wouldn't guess. It's my great shame. 
but I love it. But it's also not. Um, I objectively think Dan Brown is not a good writer. Mm-hmm. I don't enjoy his books for their prose. Yeah. Or for their characters. Yeah. I enjoy them purely for their plot. Yeah. Purely for the like pseudo intellectual mystery mm-hmm. at the center of these books. Dan Brown is the name of the rose done poorly. So, Jordan, <laughs> and I love them. Okay, Jordan and I, we had dinner a couple weeks ago with friend and listener of the show, Kimberly. And um, Kim, we were like at a group dinner. And Jordan is an attorney, Kimberly is an attorney. And so, <laughs> please imagine your friends who are attorneys kind of having um, intense conversations about nothing. Like, uh-huh. we were talking about Hallmark movies, sure. essentially. And what Jordan was talking to her about was she had, she loves Hallmark movies. She had not seen white Christmas or miracle on 34th street Mm -hmm. or it's a wonderful life. Okay. And Jordan was arguing that, Hey, you need to at least see those before you see Hallmark movies. Cause then you can see kind of what influenced Hallmark. Right. And Jordan in a very Jordan move Uh was like, plus you need to read them. You need to watch them for virtue's sake. Like, they are objectively better. And we need to watch things because of their virtue and their value. Uh, And Kimberly was arguing, but that's not why I watch things. Sometimes I just watch things for no reason at all. And Jordan ultimately conceded because he was like, okay, we are just different. Like, Jordan is never going to sit down and watch or read something that's not... right. I don't know, inherently virtuous or thought-provoking or whatever. Jordan has no understanding of mindless media Uh unless you count like NCAA football. I was going to say, do sports count? Yeah. Because that's what that is. Yeah, and and I think that's the difference, (laughs) right? So like for me, it might be The Bachelor or it might be the Hallmark movie or it might be Great British Bake Off. And yep. like Jordan does enjoy those things, but I think he actually sees some real virtue in yeah. Great British Bake Off. Oh, I certainly do. So it's just fa- funny to me, like not every reading experience yeah. or movie experience has to be right. deep and meaningful. Right. So like you keep reading Dan Brown. I keep reading Dan Brown. Yeah. I started reading Dan Brown when I was 14. Yeah. I'm now 28. I have read everything he's ever written except for Origin. Yeah. Um, Mo- mostly that. because I wait until they come out in the airport paperback. Yeah, like the mass market. And then I buy it for $6 somewhere. Yeah. Like, usually, like, when I don't mean to. Yeah. Like, I'm not planning to buy this. And then I'm like, See, you I know what? This. <laughs> this is a $6 Dan Brown novel. Yeah. I'm going to buy that. Yeah. And then read it in a sitting, probably. Yeah. Also, and, like, complete other end of the spectrum, C.S. Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> um, not total completist, because how could anyone be? But I did write my master's thesis on Lewis, um, and before that, I was a fan. And so, I mean, I'm still a fan, but I was formerly a fan. And then I was a scholar yes. who was also a fan. And so I've read definitely all of his fiction, most of his scholarly nonfiction. Okay. And a good portion of his Christian nonfiction, okay. which are different. Yes. Um, people who read, read Lewis for his theology dabble in his fiction, I have found. Yes. And vice versa. And neither of those people reads his scholarship. Yeah. Um, but I read his scholarship and it's it's fine, honestly. Like, it's not... It was really influential. <laughs> you built up so much and then you're like, well, it's fine. It was really influential for a time. He had this book called The Allegory of Love that was about the romance of the rose and some, Chauc- some of Chaucer's poetry. Um, 
and it is kind of one of the founding schools of 20th century Chaucer scholarship, but it's not something that people really look at anymore. Okay. It's, it's been pretty much forgotten for good reasons. Okay. Um, it's fine. He has other better books. Um, the Discarded Image is a book he wrote about medieval culture and literature in general that I still find really useful. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, I think those are pretty diverse answers for those the are, two of us. Those are pretty <laughs> pretty diverse answers, and I'm, I'm happy with that. Yeah, I'm okay with it. Um, okay, book selling question. What is a book that you feel like you've recommended 200 plus times? Station Eleven. Secret History. The Secret History. Um... I recommend a lot of children's books repeatedly, like yes. Emily of New Moon, uh-huh. um, Meet the Austins. Mm-hmm. Um, I recommended Artemis Fowl a bunch of times yes. to some YA middle grade audiences. Um, Where'd You Go Bernadette? Yep. The yep, Rosie yep, yep. Project. Mm-hmm. On the podcast, I've recommended The Afterlives probably 200 times. Yeah. Um, again, I, for good reason. I definitely think, just by very nature of being booksellers who are also people and not mm-hmm. robots like there are lots of we repeats. get we get go-to's yeah for sure and i think some of the go-to's in the bookshelf come from what books appeal to the widest range of readers absolutely that are still in our opinions well written right because i st- i definitely want people to be reading good literature yeah but i also acknowledge we're all coming from different brain spaces meaning yeah. not all of us can handle a little life, for example. Right. Like, so, so I think that's where the, our go-tos come from. Like, Station Eleven is excellently written. Uh-huh. And, and pretty much everyone who has read it right. likes it. And it's, like, emotionally powerful, but not, like, a total bummer. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's got its sad moments, for sure. Yeah. But by the end, it's not that anymore. Like, it is hopeful. Uh, you know what other one we recommend all the time? you and I, is Kitchens of the Great Midwest. Absolutely. And I thought of another one that I recommend to a lot of teens, um, Nimona. Yes, I recommend Nimona all the time. Also, author of Nimona, Noelle Stevenson, has a new show on Netflix that she wrote called She Rod and the Princesses of Power. Okay. Um, If you're a fan of Nimona or her other series, Lumberjanes, really check this out. It's very similar in tone. And I've watched the first four episodes, I think, and I love it. And I I can't wait to be done with things so I can watch more. Yeah. Um, beyond just convenience of book selling, though, like the books that we recommend so many times are books that we genuinely like. Yes. For legitimate, sincere reasons. Yeah, I think that, and I think that's going to happen when you go into independent bookstores. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes a customer will come in and they'll ask for a recommendation, and I will say, What did you most recently read and right. love? And then I tailor my recommendation to right. their taste. Same. Occasionally, though, we get a different kind of customer who comes in. They either trust us already or they just come in and literally want to know. Like, they'll ask the question, what have you read and loved? Uh-huh. And so I think I have about one or two of those a season. So, for example, this past fall, uh, I was recommending Unsheltered right. pretty regularly because I felt like it's appealing to a wide range of people. It's thought-provoking. It's well-written. I loved it. I'd love to talk to somebody about it. Um, this past summer, summer 2018, A Place for Us was mm-hmm. the one I put in people's hands. Like, I think we definitely have our pet books for sure. that we read and love. And therefore, just like 
just like when you finish a book and you put it in your friend's hands, uh-huh. I think that's what we're doing at the Absolutely. bookshelf. Like whatever we read and love, we're probably hand selling pretty regularly. Do you remember flashback to three years ago when it was Sons and Daughters of Ease and Plenty <laughs> and The Whale? So good. For us. Yes. <laughs> respectively. Yes. Um, that was such a good time. That was a good time. And that's a great book. And so was The Whale. Yeah. Like those were both really good books. Out in paperback now, I'm yep. sure. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> oh, those were those were so great. Yeah, Sons and Daughters of Ease and Plenty, Commonwealth. I think uh-huh, was like was I definitely think every year we kind of have a couple of go tos for sure. Um, yeah. Check our staff shelves. Yes, absolutely, and that's those are constantly changing and rotating mm-hmm. um, to reflect. I think probably the past. What would you say? Twelve months of publication. Yeah. Yeah. Roughly. Anyway. Um, this, these ones were interesting, um, and a little more maybe hard for us to answer. So if you could host a dinner party for the cast of one book, which book would it be? And this, I I love this phrasing of this question. Not like which fictional characters would you invite, but the cast of one book. I know that's trickier. I, and I love that about it. Yeah. Um, because I, I don't want to say the secret history. Right. Although I would love to have dinner with those kids. You'd fit right in. Not in a bad way. I was going to say, like, I, okay, wow, like, <laughs> not, drag me. Not in a bad way. I just feel like... I, I would, I think I would have an interesting conversation with them. I'm talking me at 28. That's what I mean, And them though, at 18. Because I think you were probably like Much them Much more at like 18, them. And at now, 18. And now I've grown out of a yes. lot of that. And I'd love to just, just like chat with them. Just like you're supposed to. Exactly. Yeah. Which is the point of that book. Yeah. <laughs> like you're supposed, but that's why I think you'd find it fast. That- exactly. Yeah. So I don't, that might be my answer. Yeah. Because can you imagine? Like it basically, I guess what I meant was it would be like having dinner with past Chris. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it would be super interesting. Um, I would also maybe think about, hmm. Oh, this is hard. It is. Some of the musicians and and actors from Station Eleven okay. might be fun, but I would have to handpick them. Yeah. And they don't have names in the book. Yeah. And so I don't know how I would even do that or which ones yeah, how I remember would you liking. Yeah, place cards? <laughs> First trumpet. <laughs> um, okay, I think what immediately comes to mind right away is we were the lucky ones. Mm, now, those are not fictional people, but that wasn't this question. This just said the cast of one book. That's true. So here's why I say this. In We Were the Lucky Ones, the part that continually makes me tear up anytime I read it or read excerpts from it is Georgia Hunter's kind of afterward where she talks about growing up and meeting these family members and these ancestors um, for the first time. And obviously she didn't meet all of the siblings. She sometimes met their children uh-huh. or their, you know, their other their subsequent generations. But just she the way she describes those family gatherings is as loud and musical and fun. And I think the way she describes those those events brings tears to my eyes every time because mm. it reminds me of my mom's family. Mm. Um, my mom is one of eight kids. And so especially when they were younger, family gatherings were very boisterous and um, kind of all over the place. And even though that's really opposite of my personality, I love being an observer of that. So I think we were the lucky ones. And then if we're going to do fiction, um, gosh, I really, I think I would be fascinated by the people from The Nest. Oh, Nobody yeah. liked those people. Right. They're not likable. I'm thinking of like dinner with the family fang. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's, and so I just think it would be fun to sit at dinner with a family. Right. 
because my function at many dinner parties, unless I'm hosting, I am the observer. Mm. I will quietly participate and I will talk to the person next to me, but I like to watch. And that's how I have fun, everyone. Like, <laughs> like I'm having fun, but I'm observing. And so I think I could play that role well with among some dysfunctional families. I think that's a good answer. Um, this one's similarly difficult. If you had to marry a fictional character, who would it be? And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to put a blanket a qualifier on this. Okay. No characters from Jane Austen. Okay. Like, no Lizzie Bennet, no Fitzwilliam Darcy. They've because already been done. They've been done a thousand times. Yeah. Mm, I've got to think. Um, I can do movie characters. But I really need That's to... true. It is fictional. Oh, characters. I know mine for okay. sure. Um, now you prevented me from saying Mr. Darcy. I wouldn't have said Mr. Darcy. I didn't figure you would. Because guess what? I am Mr. Correct. Darcy, and I am Lizzie Bennet, and I don't want to marry myself. <laughs> um, I would truly marry Gilbert Blythe from Anne of Green Gables. Oh, see, I was thinking Gilbert Grape, and I was like, <laughs> nope. wow, okay, <laughs> nope, left field pick. No, I would marry Gilbert Blythe because here is why. I firmly, as you well know, having known me for several years, uh, or a few years, is I prefer love stories that start in friendship. Yep. Um, Gilbert, by all accounts, at least from the books, from the way I read the books, is extroverted. And for me personally, I really needed to marry an extrovert. Um, he is extroverted. He pokes fun at Anne. He is smart on his, on his own and naturally competitive. All of those things are what I am attracted to. And so, Gilbert Blythe. He also loves his family mm. and takes care of Anne's family. So, yeah, Gilbert Blythe. Um, I'm an INFJ, which means I rely strongly on my intuition mm-hmm. and often don't have the data to back that up. Mm-hmm. And then I have to think specifically about like, okay, why do I feel this way? Yes. I'm consciously not doing that for my answer here. Okay. I don't know the... You're just going for gut. I don't know why. I'm just going for gut here. Okay. But I had two thoughts mm-hmm. and they were Claire from The Time Traveler's Wife mm-hmm. and Sasha from Visit from the Goon Squad. And I don't know why. That's okay. I would you really, don't need a reason. I would really have to think about it. But I was just thinking of like female characters in books that I really like. Yeah. And admire for different reasons. Yeah. And like have found myself literarily attracted to. Crushes need no reason. Crushes need no reason. And so like if I held this up to scrutiny, it might not hold. It might not hold. Yeah. Um, well, that's fine. But we'll see. Um, wait. The good thing is these, you... these relationships aren't real. <laughs> They're only in our dreams. Yeah. Just kidding. That's creepy. Um, A little bit, yeah. Did you... Wait, because you had two. Can I have two? Yeah, of course. Gilbert Blythe and Peter Kavinsky. Peter Kavinsky. Because I'm convinced that Peter Kavinsky is only going to get better with age, you guys. Not the actor. I'm not even talking about the actor. The I'm talking character. about the character. He's only going to improve. So. He is the anti-Augustus Waters. In every way. Yes. May he rest in oh, gosh. something other than peace. <laughs> oh. um, the books that made you first fall in love with reading. Harry Potter. Uh, the American Girl books. Yep. My mom's... Both favorite, classic examples. <laughs> my mom's favorite anecdotes. Which, by the way, I mean, Harry Potter is legitimately good literature. Yeah. Um, I stand by my love of American Girl books. But this is why you shouldn't be afraid if your kids love Fly Guy or Captain Underpants. Not at all. Guys, 
let your kids fall in love with reading however they need to um, because ultimately it will lead to other literature. It's about the habit and the practice of that, reading more than it is about the content when they're seven. That's absolutely right. My brother did not enjoy reading until he found these books. I, I have looked for them because they were hilarious. Like I read them after he would finish yeah. them. Um, they were, maybe you're familiar with them. I think they were Christian fiction. Mm. My Life As books. I've heard of them. And they were like, my life as a flaming taco or I don't know like I'm just coming up with like it was Mm -hmm. weird random stuff Uh I don't even know some of the names of them but they were like Chet thought they were hilarious Uh I thought they were hilarious um and were those great literature no No. and I'm sure my mom when buying them in fact I'm confident my mom when buying them was like all right but see she bought them because that's what Chet liked yep and then ultimately, Chet went on to read Gary Paulson. Right. And yeah, now. Oh, Hatchet was a good one. Yes. And now Chet is like a prolific nonfiction right. reader. Like, I was at my parents' house for Thanksgiving and went and looked at the bookshelves with my childhood books on them. And like, did I glean a lot from Garfield's Pet Force, which is the <laughs> Garfield characters imagined as superheroes? <laughs> no, I did not. But did I enjoy reading them? Yeah, yeah, I really did. Yeah, I think about um, American Girl books. I think about um, that was for sure the first kind of group. But then Babysitters Club. Uh-huh. Um, I also read the Saddle Club books, like which of course because every child goes through a horse phase. Um, you were a horse girl. Yeah, look, not for long, <laughs> um, because you know we couldn't afford. What was I going to do? Um, but anyway. Like, those aren't necessarily great literature. I stand by American Girl books because I actually do think those were really fun and rooted in history. Yeah. Um, but let kids read whatever, whatever they want. so that they can enjoy it and realize that reading isn't meant to be a chore. Right. It's not just a school assignment. It can be something that is enriching personally. Right. Anyway, that's my unsolicited advice. Mine too. Um, besides religious texts, which books have had the greatest impact on your life? Hmm. Um, I can answer this. Books that really shifted the way I think about things. Um, so tangential to religious texts, because they are both kind of shift my thinking about religious texts in important ways, but The Life of Pi, um, which I read when I was 21, mm-hmm. and The Name of the Rose, which I read when I was 20, mm-hmm. um, Catcher in the Rye, which I read when I was 20, um, and uh, one other, The Brothers Karamazov, which I read when I was 20. So the summers of... 20 and 21 were really good <laughs> reading summers um, that were also just a formative time in my brain development, right? Yeah. And so I read these these four specifically I can definitely point to and say like, a big part of who I am as a person comes from reading this book and having this realization about myself because of reading this book. Yeah. Um, so those four for sure. I think mine are all, I mean, I was an early and avid reader and when I look back, it's those heroines mm. that made a really big impact on my life. So even when Jordan and I, and I think I mentioned this on the podcast uh, a few weeks ago, when Jordan and I were reading um, from the mixed up files of Mrs. Baisley, Frank Weiler, he, he was listening to me read it. And I was reading about Claudia, the little girl, she's like 11 in the book. And Jordan was like, oh, you're Claudia. And he said that sometimes when he reads especially when we're reading children's books or whatever, mm-hmm. he realizes, oh, that's uh-huh. you. Because so much of who I am is not necessarily original. It's right. when There's I, no such thing. Yeah, when I was a little girl, these were the people I looked up to. So Joe March, 
and Shirley, Harriet the Spy, who knew, but apparently Claudia, uh, Molly McIntyre from um, the American Girl books, like all of these kind of spunky, Yeah. Emily from Emily of New Moon, um, these very spunky, independent, I think that was the key, right? Right. Like for me personally, any of these young women who were independent thinkers. And in fact, sometimes I think that has even been to my detriment in adulthood. Like I... Same with me with romantic dreamers. Yeah, like I very much think I can do this myself. And it has taken the bookshelf and marriage and life to make Mm -hmm. me realize, no, I cannot. It takes a village. But these little girls, like these little, um, I say little girls, these young female characters were also independent and did do things themselves. And I'm I'm so grateful for their example. But it's in adulthood that I've also realized, oh, they taught me that I could do things all alone and I really can't. (laughs) On that note... um, Wendell Berry's Jaber Crow oh, yeah. taught me that there's no such thing as doing things alone. Yeah. And that that's a bad system. Yeah. Um, which was also important. And I think I was 22 when I read that. Okay. So same same age range. Yeah. I think mine came a little younger. I mean, we could talk about the great books. Yeah. Um, because I definitely oh, think sure. those influenced me. But I know those some of those are religious texts. Yeah. I was specifically avoiding yeah. the so great I'll, books. Yeah. So, that's a different kind of religious exactly, text. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I'll avoid great books and instead I'll just say those really, basically when you think of classic female heroines like Scout from To Kill a Mockingbird, like those books those. heavily influenced yeah. who I was. I, I think I'm still those women to this day. I yeah. think just um, they're all in there. And all these books that are about men realizing that life is more complicated than the world has <laughs> been made out to be. Yeah, that and, sounds right. And sometimes these rules and symbols that we've taken for granted as just true are not, but they're still meaningful and valuable. Yeah. That sounds like Christmas. That sounds on brand. All right. So these last ones, um, any embarrassing interactions you've had with an author? Um, I accidentally destroyed an author's promo materials at an event one time. Did you? Yeah. For a local author. Oh boy. It was not. Was it here? Yeah. I don't remember that. Yeah. I put tape on it. <laughs> I do remember yeah. this. Local authors are their own breed, aren't they? Yeah. And like, look, that was my fault. Yeah. And I apologized. And that's all, I'll have to say. <laughs> all, all I will say about that. Um, two come to mind. The first many people have already heard me say before, but Charles Martin <laughs> is this author who apparently is fairly prolific, like almost Nicholas Sparks-esque, but I had not heard of him prior to the bookshelf. Um, Then I attended one of his events as a new manager Uh at the bookshelf, um, but didn't really think much of it. Like, yeah, um, Katie recommended one of his books to me. I read it, liked it. Um, But then I realized he comes to the bookshelf about once a year. So he was coming to the bookshelf. It was going to be my first interaction with him as the owner. And... All the women in Thomasville love Charles Martin. Like, they love him. They find him attractive. Right. I do not find him attractive because he's blonde. Right. He is, and I will say this objectively, he is a handsome man. He is not Annie's type. He is not. Like, I, like you just said, he's a handsome man, and I wanted to argue with you yeah. necessarily. It, like, uh, <laughs> objectively, he is a good-looking man. He I, is just blonde. I don't know. I do not find him handsome at all. <laughs> like, at all. So I want to be clear sorry, about that. Sorry, Charles. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Charles. <laughs> If you're listening, I'm sure you're, I'm sure you're lovely. Okay. Uh, <laughs> rewind. Um, <laughs> so 
So he came to the bookshelf, and I will say this about Charles Martin. I do not personally find him attractive, but he is a genuinely nice man. And that is more than I can say for the author I will talk about next. But uh, <laughs> Charles Martin came to the store, and all day long, and all week long, and all month long, I'd been hearing women talk about how attractive Charles he was. Martin. Yeah. And so he came into the bookshelf, and like I stuck my hand out, and I said, Hi, Annie, I'm Charles. Nice to meet you. <laughs> And I swear, like, it wasn't because I was flustered by his attractiveness. Right. Honestly, if you know me, I there is a slight part of me that's almost Nutty Professor-esque. Like, yeah. I very much am in my head. Too many things that you're thinking about. Yes. And so, but it was mortifying. And I quickly back backtracked. Like, I knew what I had said. And I was like, oh my gosh, no, you're Charles. I'm Annie. Nice to meet Whoops. you. And he didn't laugh. And, oh, no. And I truly... Guys, he really is a nice guy. I don't even know that it registered with him. I what also think he right. was in his head. So I was really flustered and trying to overcorrect and be funny. And he really, I think, had already mentally moved on to the next person. Uh-huh. So it that was kind of mortifying. I will never forget it. Like, yeah. Because I always try to portray this very confident together yeah. bookstore owner and like uh-huh. stuck my hand out there Hello. with my firm handshake. My name is Charles. <laughs> hi, hi, Annie. I'm Charles. Nice to meet you. Um, I don't know that this was an embarrassing interaction, but I will say as a book... It embarrassed you. Yeah. As a bookstore owner, um, there are, gosh... I do think there are like two kinds of authors and maybe this is too binary, but I think one type of author is super academic and literary and one is a little more commercial and normal. Uh-huh. I have often felt intimidated by the first group. I do not have a master's degree. Um, I do not have a PhD. I think that I am intelligent enough to carry on a conversation, Correct. but I sometimes wonder if they are looking down on me because I do not have a creative writing degree or I Mm. do not have a PhD. I hope that's not the case. I hope that's not the case too. And I have been proven wrong on that on many occasions. Um, However, (laughs) however, I had to attend an author event where I was off-site selling books. Um, I was alone. Jordan was not there. And I was standing outside of the event kind of selling a couple of books here or there, but also conversing with the author and his group of academics, like fellow students and fellow writers. And I felt very out of place. Like, um, I don't drink, so I automatically felt out of place because, like, I didn't have a drink in my hand. Um, also, the things they were talking about, like, I knew what they were talking about, but I just felt like, oh, my gosh, I just need to go home. Like, I just need to leave this place. We are not... I respect you and your work, but like we are not the same type of person. Right. And Jordan was late picking me up or something. I don't even really quite remember. But I was standing out there and do you ever interact with people and you know they're trying to get a rise out of you? Like they know you know they're trying to get you to react a certain way. Yes. So we were standing there and I think he could potentially tell what type of person I am. And he proceeded to use the C word like repetitively, like repeatedly. And I refused to look shocked because I knew he wanted me to look shocked. So I didn't, but I was so offended. And I don't even remember the context. I don't think he called me the C word, although honestly, hard to remember. Um, I think he was just like kind of, you know, throwing that word around. And then he asked me to his home and he's married, like he is happily married. 
Um, but he asked me to his home and I remember thinking, this is wildly inappropriate. Like, no, I'm not coming to your house. And it's one of those moments that I look back on and it was a little harassment-y. Yeah. But you don't realize it because it's not overt. Right. And then you get in the car with your husband and you tell him what happened and he's like, no, that's gross. Yeah. (laughs) And so I don't know that that was embarrassing so much as it was, it was just not my favorite author interaction. Yeah. So yeah, you, you have them. Yep. They're not always great. No. Some authors are, some authors aren't. Final question. What has owning the bookshelf taught you? Big question. <laughs> Let's do it in two bullet points. Okay. You get, you get two things okay. to reduce it down to what you've learned. The first one is that I can't do it myself. Good. Like, can't. You can't. J- just can't. You can't run a it, business. It literally takes a village. Yes. Not to raise a child, but to... <laughs> to raise a bookstore. To, to run a bookstore. <laughs> um, so you can't... I can't do it myself. Um, and then... I will... Small tangent on just, it takes a village. Yes. I'm sure I've told on the podcast before, but it is one of my favorite anecdotes. I went to a homeschool graduation Okay. when I was in college. Long story of why I was at a homeschool graduation, but it was a homeschool co-op graduation. Okay. Like several families that bound together and, and did their whole thing. So it was like 20 kids, I think. A dad gets up in the ceremony to give like a speech and he begins his speech by saying, it's been said that... It, it takes a village to raise a child, but it's not a village. It's a community. How is that different? It's not. That's <laughs> so what it's it, literally the same that's thing. That's what village means. <laughs> In the context of that quote, it means it takes more than, more than one family to raise a child yes. because like, that's just how communities work. Yes. But it's not a village. <laughs> it's a community. Yes, thank you, sir. Those are identical things. Um, he also then said, as C.S. Lewis once said, as long as we will have the will to walk, God is pleased with even our stumbles. C.S. Lewis did say that, but it was in the mouth of Screwtape, <laughs> who is the devil. <laughs> so he was quoting the devil. He was quoting the devil. At this homeschool graduation. Saying the opposite of what C.S. Lewis believed. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And so that homeschool dad gets my golden raspberry award for <laughs> worst critical thinking skills. That really was not a proud moment. For no. Him. But he thought it was. That's he really, that, that's what's so sad yeah. about it. Um, so I Second thing. Yeah. So I can't do it by myself. Um, I think I've also learned perhaps to tag along with It Takes a Village you really have to have the support of not only, at least in, in the small town of Thomasville, of not only Thomasville. Like, it is mm. very important that we be a vibrant part of this community. Of but this region. Of this region. Um, but I also am learning that to to attract and to intrigue long-distance people and to grow the business, you have to appeal then and learn about your long distance community. So I feel like that is something I'm still learning. Like how do I both appeal to the community in Thomasville and then how do I appeal to a longer distance Mm -hmm. group of customers who have come on board and followed along this journey. So that's something I'm still learning. Mm -hmm. But I think overall it really can just be summed up in I can't do it by myself. And I think I very much thought, I got this. Like I can do this. No, you can't. And you you know why. Yeah. Because it takes a community. (laughs) A village, you might say.
at the bottom of the barrel again Started out strong, but now we're coming up thin Oh, we have cast our lots with all the devils of sin Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God From the Front Porch is a production of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in Thomasville, Georgia. It's produced by me, Annie Jones, and Chris Jensen, and edited by Chris Jensen. If you're interested in purchasing any of the books we've talked about on today's episode, you can do so at bookshelfthomasville.com forward slash shop. Thank you to Forlorn Strangers for the use of our theme music. It's called The Bottom of the Barrel from their album, Forlorn Strangers. Learn more at forlornstrangers.com. If you'd like to support From the Front Porch on Patreon and gain access to exclusive bonus content, check us out on patreon.com slash fromthefrontporch. You can also find us at our website, fromthefrontporchpodcast.com, for web-only content and a full back catalog of our show with detailed show notes and links to further reading. This week in the bookshelf, a funny thing happened. Um, we were having story time, and at the time we were doing the, the story time, it was the holiday season so yep. we we're reading Christmassy books and this one little boy I was asking everybody what their favorite part about Christmas was and I just love how many different personalities are uh-huh. in a, a class so this class was small like I think there were seven or eight kids and so they said presents ornaments Christmas trees and then one little boy of course because this was the group from the Baptist preschool said my favorite part about Christmas is Jesus's birth and I said oh what a lovely answer then fast forward mm-hmm. a few minutes, and we are reading a book called The Broken Ornament. Okay. And the whole premise is that when you break an ornament, like, what happens after that? And and that this little boy needed to apologize to his mom. And it's a sweet little story. Um, but so in the book, the little boy breaks the ornament. And I was like, what do you think is going to happen next? And a different little boy... So please picture like sweet little boy who's like, Jesus' birth is my favorite part uh-huh. of Christmas. <laughs> Fast forward. <laughs> what do you think is gonna happen to the child with the broken ornament? I think he's gonna get his butt whooped. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, all right, well, yep. I, I don't know that that's what's gonna happen in this particular story, but I see now what happens in your home, I, thank you. I, I see now why you might think that. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much for listening. We will see you next week. <laughs>